The Bible reading today is from the letter of Ephesians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Oh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. If I'm yet to meet you, I'd love to get to know you afterwards. And we also have another morning tea, which is uh, good news. There's morning tea before and after church, so lots of food for uh, kids, in particular my kid, to eat. But anyway, um, welcome to church this morning. Um, like already, has already been mentioned, this week uh, we continue on our series called Jesus Church. Uh, this is the third sermon in the, the six-week series. And this is almost like the series has been split into part one and, and part two. Uh, for the first two weeks, I camped out in Ephesians 2, and I was really trying to explain to us the identity of the church and the most important part of the identity of the church, which is that the church belongs to Jesus, that the church is Jesus' church. In this part two of the series, I'm all going to unpack for you uh, four core activities that flow out of our gospel identity as a church that we do week in, week out. And the four uh, core activities that I'm going to be talking about, or, or we're going to be talking about, Pastor Mark will also be speaking for the next three weeks after me, uh, is this. Uh, today we're going to talk about worship. The next week we're going to talk about community. Then we're going to talk about service, and then finally we're going to talk about multiplication. So we're going to talk about worship, community, service, and multiplication. But before I get into it and teach to us about worship, I'm going to pray. And so if you'd like to pray, please pray with me. Um, if you're someone who's new to church, you're not too sure what prayer is, prayer is just a time when we talk to God. And so I'd love for you to join in with me as I pray now. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for how you reveal yourself to us in your word. 
We thank you so much for the gift it is that despite the fact that Jesus was here 2,000 years ago when he came to earth, we can know him, we can love him, we can worship him and have a relationship with him because you reveal us to him in your word. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for that gift. And Lord, we want to thank you so much for the gift of the church as we gather together to learn from you, to, to understand who you are, but then also to respond to who you are, to worship you, uh, not just on a Sunday, but for our whole lives. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you be with us this morning. Please teach us from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, if you were here, um, I explained to you how I love football, soccer. Uh, believe it or not, I'm not the only person who loves football. Uh, you see, the Olympics was on recently, and the Olympics was a kind of a big deal. Uh, but believe it or not, the Olympics is not the biggest sporting event in the world. Matter of fact, the biggest sporting event in the world is the FIFA World Cup. There you go. Okay. Two years ago, in 2014, the 2014 World Cup in Brazil was the most watched sporting event in history. It's by far the biggest sporting event there is. And like the Olympics, it unites people together. Like in the football, when um, Elijah and I watched it two years ago, it, it united him and me. Oh, sorry, you would, have you say that. And the reason why it united us is because we're screaming out, you know, like goal, like South American commentators, especially when Timmy Cahill scored a beauty. You know, it was, a, it was an amazing time. And I, and I love the, the World Cup. But if you watched it, what you would have seen is something incredibly devastating. You see, in the World Cup in 2014, it was in Brazil, and Brazil was doing really well, and the country was celebrating, was stoked to how good their country was going, until the semi-final. In the semi-final, they got thrashed 7-1 by Germany, who ended up winning the World Cup. And I remember watching this game, and it was devastating just how like, depressed everyone was. And it made me think, why did this country so badly want to win the World Cup? Like, why did they want to win it so badly? Like, did they really want that little tiny gold trophy? Like, sure, it's impressive. It's five kilograms heavy. It's 18 karat gold. But, but get this. The winning country doesn't even get to keep the World Cup anyway. They only get to keep a replica because it's been stolen too many times in the, in the history, in the past. So it makes you think, like, does this country, did it really want that little trophy that badly? Well, I think all of us know the answer to that, don't we? I think all of us know that that country, that Brazil wanted to rejoice. They, they wanted the joy that comes with winning a World Cup, like every other country was trying to seek in that time. I wonder if you understand this, but a synonym for the word rejoice is the word worship. Now maybe like, how does that work? Well, let me explain it to you. Basically, whatever you find your joy in or whatever you rejoice in is what you worship. Now, when it comes to the Brazilian nation, they, in many ways, were trying to put their joy in, were worshiping that World Cup. And that little tiny trophy failed to deliver the joy they were after. Now, maybe some of you are thinking, the word worship, Joel, like what does that word even mean? Well, good question if you are thinking that. The word worship is actually a Saxon word or derives from a Saxon word, uh, worth-ship. And what that literally means is what you worship is what you find worthy or, or what you think is valuable. So literally, the word worship means to give worth to something. To find value in something. Because all of us in this room find something valuable or something of worth, all of us in this room are worshippers. It doesn't matter if you believe in a God or not, the reality is all of us in this room invest time, money, energy, emotion into things that we find worthy or valuable. You see, church on a Sunday is not the only time we worship. The time we sing is not the only time we worship. They are expressions of our worship, yes, but worship is actually an all-of-life reality. So, 
With all that in mind, today we're going to talk about worship. Because it's a core activity of us as a church when we do gather together, even though we also do it throughout the week. And heads up, as I go through this sermon, today's going to be a little bit different to other sermons. I'm not going to give you a three points like I have for the last few weeks. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you one big idea that I'm just going to hammer into you so you do not forget it. And the big idea is this. As a church, we are pursued to praise. As a church, we are pursued to praise. We're pursued to praise. And so with that in mind, let's talk about worship. And and let's begin by asking a simple question. Why does God want us to worship him? Like, like why does God want us to to praise him? Why would an all-powerful, all-knowing God want us little human beings to worship him? Is he insecure? Does he need the attention? Like, why why is that the case? C.S. Lewis is a a famous author, and he was a Christian, but before he became a Christian, he was an atheist. And uh, he, after becoming a Christian, also wrote a lot of books, and some of them are such as the Chronicles of Narnia or Mere Christianity. Maybe you've heard of them. And one time as he was going through the book of Psalms, he, he wrote some reflections on the book of Psalms. If you don't know what the book of Psalms are, it's just a book in the Old Testament, which is basically about worshipping God, actually. And as he read through the book of Psalms, he came to this conclusion. And there's a quote that I want to read out to you. It might come up on the screen, and I think it's really helpful uh, for this question of why does God want us to worship him? This is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, The miserable idea that God should in any sense need or crave for our worship like a vain woman wanting compliments or a vain author presenting his new books to people who never met him or heard him is implicitly answered by the words, if I be hungry, I will not tell thee. That's, That's a quote from Psalm 50. Even if such an absurd deity could be conceived, he would hardly come to us, the lowest of rational creatures, to gratify his appetite. I don't want my dog to bark approval of my books. I find that really helpful. I don't know about you, but personally, I love nature and I love being blown away by nature. Like uh, my wife, Emma and I, we like to go for walks up towards the lighthouse, um, more recently to catch Pokemon, but also because it's just some nice nature. And what we like doing is just like, I don't know about you, but I just like looking around the harbor and looking at our city and looking at the water and look at the landscape and just being blown away by it. Like, I don't know about you, but I love looking at the ocean and the, and the horizon and just being engulfed just by how humongous it is. Like, I don't know about you, but I love looking up into the stars at night and just being blown away. I'm just going, wow, like, like how small am I? I'm guessing you're the same. But I wonder if you've ever thought about this, is that in, it's almost like universally all of us have been created to be blown away by things that are bigger than us. But I wonder if you've ever thought about this, that actually you've been created to be blown away by the God of the universe. And that he's the one thing that will always blow you away. You see, I wonder if we understand this, that if the, if the God of the scriptures, if this all-knowing, all-powerful, incredible God actually exists, then that the greatest gift that he could possibly give us is, is not wealth, it's not health, it's not comfort, it's not a good career, but it's him himself. It, it, it's God. Like, like have, we, have we thought about this? Have we meditated on this? Has it sunk into our hearts? Because, you know, maybe today, maybe you're lacking joy because of maybe the car you drive, maybe the house you have, maybe your relationship status. Uh, Maybe it could be the things you haven't achieved in life. And you're wondering, God, why haven't you given me these things? The greatest gift that God can give you is himself. You've been created to worship him. 
and that He creates us to worship Him for our joy and for our good. How, how, how amazing is that? Unfortunately, though, after, after God created Adam and Eve in the garden, as we all know, they rejected the gift of worshipping God and they decided to rebel against Him. And ever since then, humanity has been doing the same thing. Instead of worshipping the Creator, we've been worshipping the Created. The Apostle Paul in Romans one twenty five explains this to us when he says this. He says, uh, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. I wonder if you ever thought of it this way. You see, sin or rebellion against God, in many ways, the essence, the root of that is wrong worship. Is wrong worship. It's, it's rejoicing, it's valuing, it's sacrificing, it's living for shallow, temporary things other than God himself. The, the essence of sin is basically how we turn good things into God things. How we turn the gifts of money, relationship, work, hobbies, sports, and we place them above God. We value them above God. Wrong worship is the core of sin. And you know what's incredible is that despite this, despite the fact that God's people rejected him, do you know what God did? He pursued them. He pursues them. He pursued Abraham in the Old Testament and then Jacob and then Israel. He pursued the Israelites and he saved them out of Egypt and then he gave them the Ten Commandments. And why did he do that? He did that because he wanted to realign their wrong worship. He wanted to point them in the right direction. He gave them the Ten Commandments, not to rob them of joy, but to give them joy, to teach them how they are to worship Him. And what is the first commandment? Well, the first commandment is to love your God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, it says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, with this commandment, God is trying to realign His people's hearts so they would worship the Creator rather than the Created. He's trying to realign his people's hearts. I wonder if he needs to do that to us this morning as well. Insightfully, a guy called uh, Martin Luther, maybe you've heard of him, not Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King was named after Martin Luther. But Martin Luther uh, was this German monk when he was in the 16th century. He grew up as a Catholic, but then as he started to read uh, the Bible, he saw how that we are saved by grace and through faith in Christ alone. And so he was basically the catalyst for the Reformation, where the Catholic and the Protestant church split off. Really influential man, really godly man, and wrote a, really, a lot of insightful things. And as he went through the Ten Commandments, what he noticed something is really helpful is what he noticed is that the first commandment to love your God is the first commandment for an important reason. And the reason is this. If you obey the first commandment, then you obey the next nine that follow it. If you, if you obey to worship God with all your heart, mind and soul, then you also follow God and listen to him. You see, what Martin Luther said is basically whenever we choose to steal, kill, lie, or maybe not listen to our parents or disrespect them, it's because we're choosing to worship something or value something other than God. Martin Luther um, helpfully says this quote. He says, under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. Under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. I reckon when we think of idols, I think we conventionally think of gold statues, you know, external things that we bow down to, just like, you know, that soccer World Cup. When most idols, actually in reality, are invisible idols that we bow down to of our hearts. You know, the most common idols that majority of us would struggle with would be money, comfort, maybe relationships, sex, maybe respect at work, 
maybe sport itself, maybe computer games, hobbies, like I could go on and on and on. So many things that our hearts bow down to. And I guess the thing I want you to be thinking about right now is if, if right now you're feeling distant from God, or right now if there's some sin that you are struggling with, or maybe you're lacking joy in your relationship with God, then maybe just you need to do an audit of your heart to see is your heart bowing down to things or valuing things above your God and Creator. And if you are, then can I encourage you to run to Him because He's a merciful God who forgives you, who cares for you, and who's created you to love Him and worship Him. Bow down before Him and ask Him to grow your affection for Him. Uh, this week on Wednesdays, Wednesdays is my day off most weeks, and uh, this Wednesday I just had a bad day. Like, I just had a day when I just got out of bed, and I'm just like, oh, can it just be tomorrow? Like, I don't know if you've had those sort of days. And um, the reason why I was just, I don't know, I was just not in a good state mentally. Um, I'd also, it was just a bit sore from basketball. I just I injured myself, and I was just feeling emotionally drained. It's just been, it's just been a busy week. It's just one of those days. And I remember I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to get some joy. And so I thought, I'm going to go play basketball. That'll make me happy. That'll, that'll, that'll give me joy. And so I put on my shoes and told Emma and said goodbye to the boys, walked down to the garage, got in the car, and then I realized I had my basketball. And then I looked for like half an hour and I couldn't find my basketball. And so then I walked back up the stairs, like shoulders down, and then just went and sat down, just took off my shoes, like just dead quiet, and then just went and just lay on the couch, just depressed. Like, like, like it was just one of those days. But unfortunately on this day, for the rest of the day, I was like an immature toddler. Like, I just didn't want God's help. Like, I just wanted to find joy in other things. Like, I wanted to find in sport, or maybe in coffee, or in food. And, like, I just wasn't finding it. It wasn't satisfying. And it was a terrible day, to be honest. And then I woke up on Thursday. And on Thursday, I got to start writing this sermon. <laughs> and I get convicted by the Holy Spirit that, you know what? God is the best gift that we can ever get. That when we're lacking joy, He is the greatest gift that we can look, up, look for. I wonder if that's the same for you here today. That God is the greatest thing that he can give us. You see, you know what's incredible about the Bible? It's, it's a simple storyline. It's a simple storyline of how God pursues people who don't deserve him to pursue them. It's a simple storyline of how God loves his people. And even despite the fact that they sin against him, he gives them the temple. He gives them the sacrificial system. He gives them the law and the commandments so he can realign their worship. And then even when they worship other nations and, and other idols, sorry, what does he do? He continues to pursue them. He sends judges and priests and kings and prophets to try and point them, realign them back to who they should worship. And this pursuit climaxes when he sends his only son, Jesus Christ, as well. You see how good is our God when he sends his own son, Jesus, to come and show us what worship looks like. The perfect worshiper in Jesus Christ. Jesus who did what everyone else failed to do and lived a life of perfect sacrifice. He glorified God with flawless obedience and he valued God above all else in this world. You know, what I love about Jesus is he was the perfect worshiper. But more than that, you know, he also brought in a new age or new order of worship. See, I don't have time to unpack it all here, but in John 4 in particular, Jesus talks to an adulterous woman at a well and he explains to her how his death changes things. You see, before Jesus came to worship God, the Jews needed to go to the temple and perform their sacrifices there. But then because of Jesus' death, things change. You see, when Jesus dies, the temple is not needed because Jesus is the new temple. When Jesus dies, sacrifice is not needed because he is the ultimate sacrifice. 
You see, when Jesus dies, the curtain is split in two, so we have, made, have access with God our Father through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Anywhere, anytime. The good news of the gospel is that God pursues us even when we do not deserve it, that he forgives us for our flawless worship. But more than just forgiving us for our flawless worship, he gives us Jesus' perfect worship in his eyes. We inherit Jesus' perfection. I know I'm talking about bas- I'm going to talk about basketball in a second. My apologies if you don't like sport, but uh, the most famous basketball of all time is a guy called Michael Jordan. You might have heard of him. And uh, when he finished or when he retired, um, they played like lots of career highlights. So if you go on YouTube today and you type in Michael Jordan, you'll, you'll get like hundreds of videos about him. And you know what's really interesting is whenever you watch these videos, is it doesn't show videos of like Michael Jordan like tripping over or of him like missing shots or of him being sent off for foul play or him missing those important three-pointers to win a game. It doesn't show that. It doesn't show that. But instead, what it shows is it shows Michael Jordan doing those slam dunks. It shows him sinking those threes to win the game. It shows his championship rings. It shows the highlights reel of his life and his career. You know what's incredible about the gospel is that because of Jesus Christ, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our flawless worship. He doesn't see the terrible things we've done, but he sees what Jesus has done and how we're in Christ. He sees Jesus' highlight reel. Uh, it's the good news of the gospel that God pursues us by sending his son Jesus for us. We are pursued people if you're a follower of Jesus. In church, may I hammer this into you today. We are pursued to praise. We are pursued to praise. This truth of how we are pursued to praise in particular is shown to us in Ephesians 1. I know it's taken me a while to get there, but if you have your Bibles, keep them open. Ephesians 1, I'm not going to unpack it all in detail, but I want to point out a few things to you. Okay, so in Ephesians 1 in particular, what I want to point out is in verses 3 to 14, Paul is just praising God. Like he is just going, he's this blood pumping praise for who God is and what he has done for us. Like have a look, have a look in verse 3 in particular. It begins by Paul saying, praise be to the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. And then he repeats the word praise a few times. In verse 3, sorry, in verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 12, he says, In order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And then in verse 14, Paul says, To the praise of his glory. Like, Paul just cannot stop talking about praising God because he's praising God as he even writes these words. You know that Paul is praising God here because he keeps on using that word, but also because of how he's written this sentence. Get that, a sentence. You see, verse 3 to 14 in the original Greek manuscript is one sentence. It's like Paul forgot what punctuation is because he's just so excited. I don't know about you, but when I was little as a kid for Christmas or for my birthday, I'd wake up and I'd go get my presents and then I'd be so excited. I'd go run up to mum and dad and they're in bed just to sleep, like leave me alone. And then I'd just like yell at them, like check out this, check out this train, check out this car. And, and as I'm explaining to them what I've received, I used to just temporarily forget how, like how to breathe. Like I was just so excited. And that to be like, just, just slow down, you know? It's almost like, you know, when you see a woman and she like gets, in, uh, gets engaged to and she shows her friend to her, her fr- a ring to her friends. She's like, oh my gosh, what is it? Like, just cannot breathe. Like, they're so excited. You know, the same thing's happening here with Paul. He's just so excited. He's like, who needs a comma and a full stop? Let me just explain to you how good God is. He praises God. And what does he praise God for? 
Well, I don't have time to unpack everything, but let me just list for you a few things uh, that he praises God for. So, what does he praise God for? He praises God for every spiritual blessing we have in Christ. He praises God for how we are elected and adopted into his family, for the redemption and forgiveness of sins, for how God's salvation is revealed to us in Jesus, and finally, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's, there's probably more there that I've missed as well. So like I said, I don't have time to unpack it all, but let me just explain one little thing to you. Let me read out to you verses 4 to 6. I think it's really helpful. This is what Paul says in verse 4 to 6. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Just in case you missed it, what Paul is trying to say here is that before the creation of the world, God chose, God predestined, God elected those who would be his children, even before we were born. Now, look, I know this can be a difficult or controversial topic, election or predestination, and I wish I could do a sermon on it, but I don't. But instead, let me just point something out too that I think is really helpful. At, at the cross, where, where Jesus is being crucified, where he's experiencing excruciating pain, at the cross, let me tell you one thing that Jesus was not thinking. He was not thinking, I hope this works. Like, like I, I hope people actually believe that this is enough for them. I hope my blood actually does wash over people's sin and make them right before God. Like, like I hope that this is just not like a one-hit wonder and then people forget about me. Like, like, Jesus knew. Like, Jesus knew what he was doing and he knew that his blood would be enough to cover the sin of all his people. It's important that we understand. It's important that you understand. If you're here in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, that God has pursued you. Yes, your choice to believe in him is important. Yes, but even that, that gift of faith, as we're told in Ephesians 2, is a gift. You see, I, I hate to break this to you, but you're not that special. God is special. He's shown mercy to you when you're bowing down before idols. He has pursued you. In particular, he's pursued you through his son, Jesus Christ, and sent him at the cross for you. So he can redirect your wrong worship. And look, if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I say this? God is actually pursuing you right now. Like if you're here in this room, it's because God wants you to be here and he wants to tell you about himself. Like even if you got confused this morning, you thought the church was a bakery or a gym or I'm not too sure. Like God has fooled you and placed you here so that he may tell you about himself and so you may love him and worship him. Church, we are pursued people. May we never forget that. And that, may, may that be what fuels our worship in response. Now, I'm hoping by now, majority of you are like, okay, Joel, I get the point. So we're pursued people and we're pursued to praise. Hopefully I've hammered that into you this morning. But what exactly does, it, does praise look like? Because let's be honest, uh, different Christians uh, who love Jesus have different opinions what it looks like to praise and worship God. It's a great question. You know, in some camps, they think that worshiping God is about what you do with your hands. It's about how you take communion, and that's it. While in other camps, it's about what you do with your heart. It's about how you sing praises to God and emotionally love Him. While in other churches, it's about, no, no, it's about just listening to God's Word. It's about your head, and it's about doing what He says. What does it look like to worship God? Well, let me explain to you what I believe that the Bible teaches us in regards to worshiping God, and let me explain to you what it teaches us in regards to a Sunday gathering alone. I'm just because I don't have time to unpack more. And to do that, 
what I want to do is I want to give you a definition of worship uh, that's more robust than the one I gave you before. See, the one I gave you before was more like a dictionary.com definition of worship. And so now let me give you more like a theological, biblical Christian definition of worship, which I think is helpful. And it should come up on the screen. And so this is what I think worship is. Worship is our response to God's revelation in adoration and action. Worship is our response to God's revelation in adoration and action. So let me unpack to you the first part, God's revelation, and then secondly, our response. So firstly, God's revelation. It's really important that we understand as a a church that our worship begins with God revealing himself to us. That our worship begins by us looking at the word of God. You see, as Christians, we believe that God has revealed himself to us in many different ways, but the primary way in which he reveals himself to us is in his word. So without the Bible, we wouldn't know who God is and how to worship him. And so church, for that reason, our worship, our gathering on Sundays revolves around the teaching of God's word. It is centered on opening up and seeing what God has to tell us. Because before we can speak to God, he needs to speak to us. And so may we keep that in mind every Sunday as we gather. May we come here ready for God to speak to us through his word. Because God reveals himself to us firstly before we respond to him. So firstly, worship begins with God's revelation. But then secondly, worship continues with our response in adoration and action. Now, maybe thinking, Joel, where where do you get those words from? Adoration and action. Adoration is like, I guess, emotionally praising God and action is what you do. Um, Yeah, where do I get that from? Good question. Well, in the Bible, there's a long list of words that are used to explain what worship looks like. And that makes sense if worship is an all-of-life reality. And yet at the same time, there's four specific words that are used in the scriptures in, in, in the original language, which we translate in the English as worship. And in these four words, I want to explain them to you. There's two words out of these four that are more in reference to adoration. And you can translate them to, to bow down before God or to fear God. While the other two words that are used to translate to worship are more about service. It's maybe about serving God um, throughout the week or, or in what you do in your life, or it's about serving God as a priest. So there's a, there's a bit of a differentiation there. But what you see is basically that some words about worship explain adoration and other words explained action. You see, the English word for worship is more like an umbrella term to explain two distinct but related um, categories, and that is adoration and action. I think Truth be told, this makes sense to most of us. I think most of us know that worship is about your head, your heart, and your hands. I think most of us know Jesus' famous words, love your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And I think most of us have heard of Paul's words in Romans 12, where he says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. I don't think that's new to a lot of us here. But the one thing I want to really get us to make is clear is that our worship is something that we do in response to God's revelation. So we do in response to him. We don't do it to earn God's love. We don't do it to earn God's respect or we don't do it for an emotional high. We do it because God's already revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. And so with that definition in mind, let me get a bit more practical here. What should worship look like for us on a Sunday? What should it look like on a Sunday? Well, let me talk generally and then let me talk individually. So generally and then individually. So, generally speaking, what should worship look like for us on a Sunday? Well, it should involve us gathering around God's word and then responding in adoration and action. 
First, in regards to adoration, as we walk through those doors each week, if we're a follower of Jesus, we should come here with a desire to love Him more and grow in our affection for Him. We should come here learning, wanting to learn how do we admire Him? How do we fear Him? How do we adore Him? How do we bow down before our good God? In regards to action, we should come here ready to serve our God and put our faith into action. We can do this by engaging the preaching of the word. We can do this by obeying whatever God convicts of us to do that week. We can do this by praising God with our voices, by participating in communion, by giving our money, by serving one another, by loving one another or encouraging one another. So that's what it looks like for us to worship God generally. But what about individually? As individuals who walk through this door, what does it look like for us to worship God? Should it look the same? Should it look the same? Well, no. Well, yes and no. You see, in one way, yes, it should look the same. See, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, if you're a plumber, or if you're a mother. You walk through these doors, God wants you to sing. He wants you to listen. He wants you to come before Him in praise. He wants you to pray to Him. He wants you to serve Him. And so, yes, we should all look the same in one sense. But in another sense, our worship should look different because we're all different people. And God's created us differently. Let me give you an example. You see, some of us in this room, we're more loud, more charismatic, maybe more expressive people. While others in this room, we're probably more re- maybe more reserved or more maybe laid back, maybe more quiet. And you see this not just at church, but outside of church. So, so maybe if you're, I don't know, let's say you're watching TV, your favorite show, or maybe you're watching like State of Origin. You see, if I'm watching State of Origin, I'm like yelling at the TV saying, go the blues. I'm like clapping. I'm like jumping off the couch. Like I'm a maniac. Well, some of you in this room, because of who you are, are watching it and saying, go the blues. You can do it. That's it. And that's fine. Like, that's just the way you've been created. We're created differently. And so when it comes to worshiping God in adoration, it's going to look different for all of us here. What's important, though, is that we worship God in line with our personalities and know at the same time that God is trying to change us and make us more like his son. And so what that means is for some of you in this room, like during time of preaching, some of you might want to yell out amen, just like Paul did before. Or, or maybe you just want to be quiet. When it comes to singing, some of you may want to sing loudly and expressively and use your hands or dance. Others don't want to, and that's fine. When it comes to praying, some of you want to get down on your knees or, or I don't know, close your eyes, and others of you don't, and that's fine. When it comes to worshiping God, what's important is you do so with authenticity. What's important is that you do so the way God has made you to do so, and that you do not fear others, but you fear God as you come before Him and worship Him. And so, each week, may we walk through these doors with a desire to know God more, with a desire to worship Him more. May we yearn to know Him more deeply, love Him more passionately, and serve Him more boldly. Look, as as we've seen in Ephesians 1, I've hopefully made it so clear that it's painful. We have been pursued to praise. We've been pursued to praise, to respond to God's revelation, adoration, and in action. And church, I just want to finally say that it's critical, that it's important that you understand how valuable your worship is to God, but also to yourself. Let me explain to you why. Um, A few years ago, my mom uh, walked into her garage, and when she walked into her garage, she saw a mouse. Um, And this, instead of like freaking out, I think she did freak out, but she didn't run away because the mouse didn't run away. And so she was a bit curious and you see, the mouse couldn't run away because the mouse was literally too fat. And you're like, what's going on? Like, it's too fat. You see, my mom did some investigation work and she saw that this mouse had some yellow powder around its mouth. 
and then she noticed that this mouse was located next to my brother's protein tub with its lid off. You see, what had happened is this mouse thought he found gold, but instead he'd eaten himself to death, basically. He was dying of fatness, the poor little thing. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, it's a good story, but there's a reason why I'm telling you. The reason is this, is as you walk out these doors, you're going to be tempted to, to bow down and worship other things. You're going to forget that God is the greatest gift that you can ever be give, given. You're going to be tempted to think, oh, yeah, that'll be good for me. That'll bring me joy, just like protein for that little mouse. And it's going to lead to death instead of joy. And so I want you to leave here understanding how critically important it is that you know that you have been pursued to praise God. And that such praise, such worship will bring you joy. It'd be good for you. It'd be good for the people here, but also it would bring glory to God. Church, we are pursued to praise. And we never forget that. Let me pray to close. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift it is that you created us to worship you. Lord, we long for that day where for eternity we will worship you. There'll be no more tears, mourning or pain. There'll be no more sin and us being distracted and worshiping the wrong things. Lord, I pray that you help us to think through each week as we come here, can we worship you better? Can we adore you more? Can we serve you more of our actions? Lord, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and we thank you so much that our worship does not earn your love, but we do so in response to the love that we have in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen.